It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Henry Frederick Emil once said, There is no respect for others without humility in oneself. I'm Rick, and this is not your your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? How did the Apostle Paul handle a slave owner? Our theme text is found in Philemon Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Okay, so how did the Apostle Paul handle a slave owner? Julie is joining us as well today. Hello, Julie. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. Looking forward to this one. It's going to be great. This is different, I'll tell you. Coming up in today's podcast, what would you do if a runaway showed up at your door and harboring them could put you in legal jeopardy? The Apostle Paul had this very issue. We're going to find out what he did in about 15 minutes. Is it ever appropriate to defend someone who has done wrong? Can that be fair to the one who was wronged? We're going to see how the Apostle Paul framed this all in a brilliant spiritual perspective in about 30 minutes. And finally, how can we practically learn the lessons of rising above the really hard experiences of life? How do we put a spiritual label on them? We're going to talk about that in about 45 minutes, but first, let's get a little bit of context here. To talk about slavery is a sensitive issue, and rightfully so. We live in an age where we recognize that all people have rights. Ours is an age where no group of people or any working class should ever be separated from those rights. This, though, was not always so. Many ancient societies survived on the backs of slaves who were often comprised of conquered peoples or those who were generationally born into servitude. Christianity had its beginning in the context of such societies. With such inequity, how could Christianity survive and even flourish? Could slaves and their owners both thrive under Christ? Fortunately, the Bible gives us a powerful view of how this actually worked in those days. Let's walk through the true story of two men on opposite ends of this spectrum and see how the Apostle Paul helped them both be faithful to Christ, and to each other. We're going to be looking at the letter to Philemon. It's from the Apostle Paul when he's in prison with Timothy, alongside of him. And it's thought to be written around A.D. 60. This letter is personal. It's not written to a church, and it's about a very personal matter. Now, this letter is unique in the New Testament. So it's less than a page long. It's less than 500 words. It doesn't teach doctrine like the book of Romans. There's no warnings like in the book of Galatians, no fiery teachings. There's none of the Apostle Paul's typical fatherly authority. This is a one-on-one, brother-to-brother, on a common level approach. So why is it even in the New Testament? Well, let's us see Paul in a completely different light. This is not Paul, the outgoing orator, the important apostle of God. This is a private, personal letter from a friend. So this one letter 
The shortest one Paul ever wrote reveals a character that we don't see in any of his 13 letters. So as we read this intimate letter, we're going to get to know Paul better and we'll develop a closer relationship with him. So if you have your Bible, walk with us through this book. It's hard to find. Go to Hebrews, turn left. It's right (laughs) before the book of Hebrews. Okay, so a one-page book of the Bible, but very, very profound. Let's get some background on the the historical situation of Philemon. And we're going to go to uh, Philemon historical background, the Philemon effect from the Bible effect. At the time when he's writing this letter, Paul was under house arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel. He was set to stand trial before Caesar Nero in Rome and was waiting there for two years before he got the chance before Nero. He intended to make the case before Caesar that both he and Christianity were not a threat to the peace of Rome. While awaiting his trial, he could have visitors and he continued to do his ministry spreading the faith and strengthening Christian communities by writing letters. Eventually, a runaway slave named Onesimus showed up at his door. Okay, so Jonathan, a little bit background on Onesimus. Well, Onesimus is Philemon's slave who ran away to Rome. Somehow, Paul's preaching must have made an impression on that slave's mind, and he was attracted to the message. We're not told how Paul and the runaway slave met, but we know a strong bond was formed between them. Imagine Paul's surprise when he found out the slave actually belonged to a friend, a Christian brother, and that was Philemon. Julie? Would Paul play the part of the informer and report him to the authorities? Because that could very well lead to the death of Onesimus. But to say nothing, to keep quiet, well, that would be wrong. So he didn't want to lose Onesimus, but he had to somehow reveal that he didn't belong here and should be returned to his master. And as we said, he's under house arrest, so he's not going to be able to go and explain this in person. Okay, so there's a dilemma here for the reason for this letter to Philemon. So Paul uses his ability. He's got this incredible writing ability, and he uses his ability as a letter writer. He would write to Philemon and have Onesimus personally deliver that letter that he's writing. Remember, he's the runaway slave. This would be a difficult letter to be be writing. He couldn't offend Philemon, but on the other hand, he couldn't commend the evildoer or excuse his offense. Would you like to be in Paul's shoes? I don't think so. This is a tough one. Look at how he does it. We're going to walk through Philemon the letter, the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Jonathan, let's start with verses 1 through through 3. It's only one chapter, so we're just going to, every time we go to Philemon, it's just going to be the verses. Verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul is a prisoner, but he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's on house arrest in Rome, and he call, He doesn't say, I'm, I'm in prison with, with the Romans. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And this shows us the focus that he had and how he interpreted his personal experiences to be those to glorify God through Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's got a focus on his imprisonment that's powerful and positive. So now, what about the other people that are mentioned in this greeting? Who are Apiphia and Archippus? Uh, We've got a commentary from Albert Barnes. Jonathan, why don't you go to that? Sure. Verse 2, and to our beloved Althea. This was a female and was probably the wife of Philemon. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
it has been supposed that he was the son of Philemon, and this would appear not to be improbable as he was one of his family. That makes a lot of sense um, that they were, because they had the church in their home, right. it really seems to fit that it's a family thing. And so we've got this family that is attached, is, is, is built around Philemon. Now remember, Philemon is the slave owner, Onesimus is the runaway slave. So the Apostle Paul's letter to Philemon as Julie said before, is a personal letter to a specific man and his household. We're given hints as to the importance of this particular household at the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, Colossians was probably written shortly after this letter, same imprisonment, Timothy's still with him, and so forth. So, Jonathan, let's go to Colossians 4, 15 to 18, to get a sense of some of the importance, specifically, of Philemon's son. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Okay, a couple of, three, three quick points on this. Jonathan, first one. Well, Philemon's son Archippus is noted as having an important ministry, which has needed uh, his focused attention. Okay, this is an important fact that Paul brings this out in this other letter. So Archippus plays a role that Paul sees as important. Julie, what's next? Uh, the letter to the Colossians was requested to be circulated to the Laodicean church, and the book of Laodicea is one of those missing books of the Bible where it's referenced, but no one has yet found. So unfortunately, we don't get to read that letter coming from Laodicea. Right, because he says, there's a letter I wrote to Laodicea, I want you guys to swap. I want you guys to share what I'm saying to each of, each of the, the groups. And Jonathan, what's the third point? Well, Paul did not mention any fellow disciples lightly, showing the influence of Philemon and his family. And that's important. What we want to establish here is the seriousness with which Paul writes these things. He's on house arrest. Every word is important. Every person he mentions is important. And we, want, and we see that he has got certain things very clearly in his mind. So Paul's greeting is typical Apostle Paul. He lets the reader know his personal circumstances, he recognizes those who reside with his reader, and he's quick to express their equality with him, the Apostle, in Christ. Philemon, he called his fellow worker. Archippus was his fellow soldier. And the church group in that area was being served at Philemon's house. This is how Paul sees Philemon and his family. These personal greetings help us really see the diplomacy of Paul. And this would start to work in Philemon's mind about family bonds and the one hope in Christ, in the brotherhood. So it's a really great way to start this letter. It is, it, it, and, it, and it sets you very much at ease. Now think about it. Onesimus is probably standing there, his runaway slave handing him the letter sheepishly, and Paul is starting, or uh, Philemon is starting to read it. So you see how Paul's introduction is so Paul-like and so calm and so comforting and so upbuilding, and we're just, just beginning. So the theme of this whole podcast is really finding common ground and how the Apostle Paul helps Philemon and Onesimus do that. So Jonathan, what's our first finding common ground point? The Apostle Paul always sought the common ground of Christ with the brotherhood, 
especially when he needed to confront serious challenges. And that is a big lesson for us. Always find the common ground of Christ with the Brotherhood. We are about to watch a master of Christ's likeness and godly wisdom do some very difficult things. Paul is going to ask for radical action from Philemon. How does he put this challenge in perspective? You know, the letter to Philemon is extraordinary, is extraordinary, is extraordinary as a teaching tool for us. The Apostle Paul is going to ask Philemon to change a major part of his life for the sake of Christ. Needless to say, tact, reasoning, and godliness all must be engaged for this change to even have a prayer of happening. This is big, what the Apostle is going to ask Philemon. And interestingly, Paul begins his plea with a prayerful approach. And when Philemon reads these first few verses, he must have just rejoiced that his friend Paul was recalling the favor bestowed upon Philemon, what God had done for him. So listen to this in Philemon verses 4 and 5. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, now, you've got to go through this with thoughtfulness. Paul is here describing a faithful and mature Christian. The fact that he mentions love and faith toward, quote, all the saints shows an example that's been time-tested. We know it's time-tested because you can't show love and faith toward all the saints that you know in an instant, in a week, or in a month. You have to be engaged, and you have to be able to be engaged in a way where others can see it. So Paul is, has observed Philemon's character, and he's drawing that to the forefront of what he's about to say to him. Let's go to Philemon verse 6. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you, for Christ's sake. Now, it's one thing to talk about this example that's time-tested. In this next verse, verse 6, Jonathan, that you just read, he talks about the fellowship of your faith. When we think of fellowship, we often think of, hey, let's get together, have a cup of coffee, and talk about our favorite scripture. You know, something very simple, something very casual. The word for fellowship here is nothing like that. It is a hundred times deeper. The fellowship of your faith. What does that word fellowship mean here? It means partnership. That is literally participation or social intercourse. Okay, partnership participation. It's much bigger than, hey, how are you? Nice to see you again. I missed you. The apostle is using a powerful, powerful word here to describe the common participation that he had with Philemon. As an example of this connection, we want to consider what happened as a result of Pentecost and Peter's discourse to the multitudes. Now remember, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit first comes to the uh, apostles, and then to the disciples of Jesus, okay? First time the Holy Spirit is ever begotten into anybody but Jesus in the entire history of humanity. So the following verse is the first use of this word for fellowship in Scripture. It's after Peter's discourse. He is begotten of the Spirit, and he's spoken by, by, by way of the power of the Spirit, and here's what happens, Acts 2, 41 to 42. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So it's interesting to me that this word for fellowship, this partnership, this Greek word koinonia, only appears in the Bible after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit is added with all of these followers, and now they are together in a way that was not possible beforehand. Jesus and his apostles before his crucifixion didn't have this kind of fellowship. Why? Because they couldn't be on his level. They, they were not begotten of the Spirit like he was. This is new. This is different. This is deeper. And this is how Paul is describing his relationship with Philemon. It's breathtaking, the depth that he's going into here. One other example of the power of this fellowship or this koinonia, and John, this is a great verse, Jonathan, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, in the King James Version, I think it uses the word communion, a communion in the blood of Christ, a communion in the body of Christ. The point is, there's this participation that could not have existed outside of the body of Christ. And this is the word that Paul chooses to identify with Philemon here as he's working through or about to work through a really difficult issue. Okay, so now let's get back to Philemon. Uh, uh, just just one, one other comment on, on Philemon verse 6, effective through the knowledge of every good thing. Remember he talks about the knowledge of every good thing. Well, that word for knowledge is very, very specific. Let's look at 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 to 4 as another example of that word. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And Jonathan, how many times have we talked about this scripture and that word on this podcast? I love this word. It's that full discernment. Right, right. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is saying to Philemon in this letter is he's recognizing Philemon's head is in the right place regarding truth. He knows Philemon understands what the gospel really is. It's not just a fleeting, I think I get it. It's, I see it, I understand it, and the Spirit is guiding me to live it. That's the kind of, of, of recognition the apostle's giving him. But he doesn't stop there. He's, he sees his head is in the right place. Now let's go to Philemon verse 7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So he just talked about how his head is in the right place, and here Paul recognizes Philemon's heart is in the right place regarding the brotherhood. He sees Philemon's actions of love and compassion and wisdom and upbuilding with the brothers in this most holy faith, and it's, it's inspiring. Paul sees his head, and he sees his heart, and he says, this is my true brother in fellowship. And if Philemon wasn't this kind of person, Paul could never have written this kind of letter. Because Philemon is mature, so Paul has to know this is going to have a massive effect on him because he knew what the core of Philemon's life was all about. Yeah, you know what? And, and the key thing is Paul doesn't say things for the sake of saying them. He says them because the Spirit is telling him, guiding him to, and he sees it as truth. So there's a sense of Philemon here. Paul, Paul is sincerely reporting to Philemon that he is a strong disciple worthy of being called Christian. Well, when Paul tells you that you are worthy of that title, Christian, it's a big deal. Oh, man. Can you imagine? I mean, no, that's amazing. It is. It is. And so 
This is just the introduction to the letter and the depth that the apostle is communicating to Philemon with. Because Paul sees Philemon in such a genuinely mature light, he's going to boldly go on to the matter at hand. There's a big issue, it needs to be dealt with, and Paul has now set it up. Philemon, verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Okay, this is a stunning verse when we begin to understand it. Paul says to Philemon, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what's proper. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, let's understand what this word order actually means. Jonathan, what, what's the definition? Well, it means to arrange upon, that is, order. Okay, now you say, okay, big deal. I, 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 you know, I like to order people around all day long. That's not quite what this is. This is a word only used regarding those who wield great authority. And, th- and this is the only time, the only time the Apostle Paul ever uses this word. Here's another example of the use of this word in regard to Jesus with his authority, the ability to order regarding the Sea of Galilee, Luke chapter 8, verse 25. And this is in the King James Version. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying to one another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Jesus commanded the wind and remember the story, peace, be still. And it says, and everything stopped. That's not natural. He ordered it. That's the word that the apostle uses to say to Philemon, I could have, I have enough confidence in Christ, because I'm begotten by the Spirit, to order you to do what's proper. So there's almost a shiver that would go through Philemon, like, whoa, this is serious. Whatever is coming is really serious, because there's an apostolic authority behind that phrase. He knows what authority he has in Christ, and yet, and yet, the Apostle Paul doesn't use it. He decides not to. Listen, folks, th- this is remarkable. This, this is Jesus in, in an imperfect pe- person. Just li- listen to this. Philemon, verse 9. Yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So it's like he's saying, Philemon, let your Christian character and discipleship respond. Let your new creature drive your thinking and your actions. I'm appealing to who you are, and that's where I'm going to leave the decision. Let your spiritual conscience be your guide. So rather than for love's sake, I appeal to you. Okay, here's another powerful, powerful words. The use of the the specific words that the Apostle Paul chooses in this letter to Philemon is remarkable because it gives us a sense of the depth of communication. When he says, I'd rather appeal to you, Jonathan, what does that word mean? It means to call near, that is invite, invoke. Okay, now that Greek word is parakaleo, okay? And that's a very similar word to parakletos, which we're going to touch on in a minute. Just remember those two words because they're the same basic root, and it's important there, okay? So I am appealing to you. Now, before we get to the parakletos thing, think about this for a second. It says, I am Paul the aged. And you can look in that and say, okay. So Paul is saying, look, I'm old. I'm on house arrest. I'm too tired for a fight. I could already out here. Yeah, yeah. It could be like, yeah, I'm just... 
you know, it's just been a long road and just, just do the right Wait, thing. Wait, that does not sound like no, the Apostle Paul and to me. And it's not. It's not. I think what, what's, what he's saying here is, I am Paul the age. He's not saying, I'm Paul the old and tired man. He's saying, I'm Paul who has been able to grow up in Christ, who has learned to be wise in a Christ-like fashion and learned to be very patient. I, Paul the aged one, am asking you, appealing to you for love's sake. So there is a, a, a overriding maturity and kindness and wisdom in this particular appeal. Such tender, loving care by the apostle. It's, it's amazing. Such confidence in his calling and in Philemon. Let's look at now parakletos. This is a, a word that's really important in Scripture. And remember, he says, I appeal to you. It's the same basic word, parakaleo. And this word parakletos is found in 1 John 2, 1. And this is also in the King James Version. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, advocate or comforter, what does that word mean? An intercessor, a consoler. So remember, an advocate is the one who sits by you and speaks on your behalf to someone who's in a position of judgment, okay? That's what we have in Jesus. Jesus is the advocate. Remember Jesus said before he was crucified that he would send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the advocate to advocate for us as well, the power and influence of God. Here, the Apostle Paul is walking the talk of true Christian character. He's advocating for Onesimus in the same way to Philemon, who's somebody in a place of judgment. And he's walking before Philemon through this letter, this beautifully, powerfully written letter, to show what he sees in Philemon. Paul is assuming an advocating role for the challenge his brother Philemon is about to face. Paul is being Christ-like here. And he's using high spiritual guidelines to make this letter work. It kind of gives us this sacred sense of what happens when we're working with issues of the lives of our brotherhood. The apostles teaching us that when dealing with these personal issues, it's sacred. It is. It is. Paul is living Jesus for us in this example. You know, Julie, at the beginning, you said we're going to see Paul in a different light. Here is you see that human being who is begotten of the Spirit, who is driven to, to build others up in most holy faith. He's living Jesus for us so we can see it, see what it looks like to live Jesus in an imperfect human being. He's literally giving us the example. Here's what it looks like. You know, in another, in another place he said, follow me as I follow Christ? This is it. This is what he wants us to follow. This is one of the big reasons the book of Philemon is in the New Testament. It gives us a practical sense of Christ-likeness in those of us who are not perfect. And you know what? That's everybody. <laughs> so, Jonathan, finding common ground based on what we've seen so far in this segment. When facing the challenge of challenging one of the brotherhood to step up higher, let us model Jesus himself in our confidence in their spirituality as we advocate for their highest welfare. Paul modeled Jesus we must model Jesus in the same way that he did. The Apostle Paul is truly paving the road for us regarding how we are to deal with tough 
brotherhood issues. Paul has set a powerful and trusting context. How will we now directly address the issue at hand? Ah, that's the big question. One of the most important lessons we can take from the letter of, to Philemon is to put first things first. Paul has been meticulous in sincerely stating his heart and truth connections with Philemon and, with, and, and will now carefully build on that foundation. We're going to see the challenge is great, but God's grace is greater. Paul put first things first. He helped Philemon understand how he saw him so he could tell him what he needed him to do. Let's talk a little bit about the culture that he's in, though. The Romans, Greeks, and Jews had many differences in their laws and manners and customs, but they all had one thing in common. They depended on a slave economy. So what was Paul's position towards slavery? He never preached against it, and perhaps if he did, it would upset his whole proposition in life because, you know, he had a work to do and limited time to do it in. He would gain little if he would start complaining to free all the slaves, you know, make this big campaign out there. So what I thought was interesting is that he recognized and accepted the custom of slavery working within the existing system. He told them, hey, if you're a slave, be the best slave ever. If you're a slave owner, be the best slave owner ever. And that reminds me a little bit about how Jesus handled women. He elevated them and gave them the respect that he absolutely, the, the highest pinnacle he could within the context of both sin and the curse and the, the contextual society at the time. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing we need to remember is this is the way society worked. There was no middle class. There wasn't the working class that went and, you know, punched the clock and and had and, you know and worked a job and got paid a specific wage. There were day laborers, but if you wanted consistent work, you were in an indentured servant. And depending on the culture, depended on the severity of that servitude. The Roman culture happened to have severe, harsh rules related to that. The Jewish culture had a much different set of rules, very different. You can't, when you talk about slavery in Jewish tradition versus Roman tradition, you're talking apples and oranges, subject for another podcast. But uh, let's take a look at the legal ramifications, because they're in Rome, okay? They're under Roman rule. Here are the legal ramifications of this whole dilemma, and we're going back to soundbite from Philemon historical background, the Philemon effect from the Bible effect. The Roman laws for slavery saw slaves as the property of the master, and they came down very harshly on anything that could come across as a slavery rebellion. If a slave ran away, the owner could have them tortured or even branded. And if the slave was a continuous problem, the owner could have them crucified. If someone showed hospitality to a runaway slave, they could be held liable for any financial loss caused while the slave was away. Okay, so Paul has put himself in a position of difficulty because he's harboring Onesimus. So remember the Roman laws, and Paul's on house arrest, okay? He can't get away from where he is because he's under arrest under Roman law. So he's in a very difficult predicament. Here's what happens. Paul begins to address the challenging issue with the best possible news. He's going to now get into the issue. Here's how he does it. He begins to, to deal with the issue by focusing on Onesimus. So Jonathan, let's go to Philemon verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Okay, I appeal to you. That same word, remember the parakaleo? That's I, I'm, I'm, I'm advocating. I'm sitting by his side on, be, on his behalf 
to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my imprisonment. First of all, the name Onesimus has a specific meaning. What, what is that? Well, it means profitable. And in the Greek-English lexicon, profitable or useful. Okay. So you've got this runaway slave whose name means profitable or useful. And Paul is saying, what better news could there be? I am appealing to you for my child. I have begotten him. I, he has come to Christ because of me. I have witnessed to him, and he's accepted Christ. What better news could there be that Onesimus is coming to Christ? I mean, really. Well, yeah, but a lot of readers might look at that and say, well, yeah, if I was a runaway slave, I could, air quote, come to Christ too, because that's my ticket out, and I get to stay in Rome. All right, and, and good point when you look at that. But remember who we're, who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the Apostle Paul. We're dealing with this individual, with this man who has spent his entire life in service to God through Christ. He is driven by God's Spirit in every way, proclaiming it at every possible instance. And we were talking before the podcast that he probably witnessed to and converted those who were guarding him. You know, I mean, probably, <laughs> probably, you know, you, you have no, no, no question about that. He's so diligent. So if he says, he says, my child begotten in my imprisonment, he's saying Onesimus is our family. Mm. He trusts him. Yeah. Yeah. And you see this fatherly approach Paul's taken with this individual who did something very bad. You yeah. know, you've got a backwards, broken young man, and Paul had brought him in and showed him what was right. And so Onesimus was blending into Roman society almost like a free man now. So would Paul play the part of the informer? And he's, is he going to report him to the authorities? Onesimus very well could be put to death. But should Paul say nothing? Does he keep quiet? You know, I've tried to visualize myself with this relationship with Onesimus, who is developing this beautiful character, and he's sincerely coming to Christ. What would I do? You know, you've got to do what's right. It's a hard decision. You don't want to lose him, but you have to reveal that he doesn't belong here and should be returned to his master. And, of course, we know that Paul will send him back to his master. But before he gets to that point, look at all that he puts in place. And this is why the letter to Philemon is so powerful for us now for, in terms of learning how to be Christ-like. So, Jonathan, let's go back to Philemon verse 11. Who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Okay, now, now, now think about this, all right? First he talks, he announces, this is my child in Christ, whom I have begotten in, during my imprisonment. And then he says, that's a powerful thing. And then he says, he was useless to you. <laughs> he ran away, okay? Um, but now he is useful to you. Now, Jonathan, what, is it, what did Onesimus' name mean? It, uh, good point. It meant profitable, useful. Right? right. So he's basically saying Onesimus is now living up to his name. And, and so he's, he's helping us understand that he is useful. And if the Apostle Paul says he's useful, this is not just, these are not platitudes. This is genuine observation of reality. That's what the Apostle Paul does. And in some ways, Onesimus resembles the newly opened door to the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles came from a bad background that was completely godless into Christ. 1 Peter 2.10. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so now Onesimus is valuable, 
but he's still a runaway slave, Julie, like you were saying before, who most likely, most likely stole from Philemon. Now, we don't know that for sure, but you got to ask the question, how would he get as far as he got if he didn't take something that wasn't his? Probably stole, we don't know, but th- th- that's a little conjecture there. So what do you do? Do you just forget the wrongdoing? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul does. Go back to Philemon, verses 12 and 13. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Okay, let's take this in pieces. I have sent him back to you in person. Paul does exactly the right thing. He sends Onesimus back to his master that he ran away from because he needs to face him. Paul is not taking him away from that consequence. He's bringing him to that consequence. But he sees that Onesimus has changed a little bit now. Yeah, because Onesimus could have just gone the other direction, you know? And so this really does tell you that Onesimus was ready to face his consequences, and he has changed. Yes, yeah. And then the apostle describes it. I'm sending him back to you in person. That is, I'm actually sending my very heart. Can you believe that? That's how attached the apostle is to this new Christian, to this baby in Christ, if you will. I want to keep him with me, okay, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment. Paul is here accentuating that attachment and the value of Onesimus and crediting much of that value to Philemon. He says, because he could serve me on your behalf. Paul here is revealing actually two very significant things. First, He's recognizing the propriety of sending Onesimus back to his rightful and legal owner by Roman law. So he's not disrespecting the Roman law. That's important. He, he did the right thing. He did, absolutely. But secondly, he's freely acknowledging Onesimus's conversion as genuine. Okay? He sees it as a genuine, real-life conversion that is clear. Now, I may be reading into this verse a little bit, but you know, he says that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment. What does Paul mean by that? I think perhaps he could be saying that Onesimus is valuable, Philemon, because of your Christ-like example, because you were in fact, and are in fact, a good master. And he saw that, and his value, you rubbed off on him, even though he got himself into a bad place mentally, and he made bad decisions that were wrong, 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 you were a great example. I just think that Paul is recognizing that and seeing Philemon having rubbed off on him. And Onesimus is probably feeling majorly guilty now because he knows, I ran away from like the best guy ever. What the heck am I thinking? What do I do? And, and, and Paul is helping him do the right thing. And, th- and this, this reminds me or reminds us of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. We're going to drop in in the middle of a sentence because this part of the sentence really applies to Onesimus. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Thieves, covetous, swindlers don't inherit the kingdom. Such were some of you. Such was Onesimus, and yet now he has come to Christ, and he has a whole new slate because Jesus died for his sins. 
So Paul has focused on Onesimus to, to talk about his value. And now, as he is beginning to reason with Philemon, he's going to focus on Philemon specifically. Paul obviously clearly respects Philemon's position as the one who was wronged because he sent him back, sent Onesimus back to him. Paul's respect is confident in Philemon's spiritual maturity. I want to say that again. Paul's respect is confident in Philemon's spiritual maturity. We see this in Philemon verse 14. But without your consent, I do not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. He respects his spiritual maturity. He leaves the door open, wide open, for Christian liberty with Philemon. He's relying on Philemon's spiritual conscience to guide him. He's relying on the Holy Spirit to provoke Philemon to do exactly the right thing in Christ. I want you to make the decision entirely on your own so that there's no compulsion in what you do. You are doing it because it's from your heart and your observation of the reality that you see standing before you, this runaway slave named Onesimus. And it kind of reminds us of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. What I really learned through this study is how Paul really lives his scriptures. Yeah. You see in action here what he wrote to these various letters and in the part of his life. He really is playing out this, um, what did you say? Um, being devoted to each other in brotherly love, giving preference to one another, being without hypocrisy. You know, he all these things that he said, he's doing and he's putting in action. And that's something we can really look up to, the Apostle Paul, in our own lives. And he's doing this while he's on house arrest. Remember that. He doesn't have the freedom to go where he wants to. He is stuck where he is under Roman law, and he's extending himself in a dramatic way here, and he's showing Philemon that extension. Go ahead, Julie. Yeah, and he certainly isn't complaining about it. Right. You know, and he's not, woe is me, what can I do? I can't do anything. No, he is encouraging, he is ministering, he is doing all, he's so, he's almost more active in prison <laughs> than he is out of prison. You're right. Yeah, I know. And, and how do you beat what he does when he's out of prison? I mean, really. Right. So, you know, this is an example, again, of an imperfect human being living a Christ-like life. This is written so we can latch on to what he does and I want to be like Paul when I grow up, because that's what he's showing us here. So, <laughs> and if this isn't good enough, listen to this, okay? Here's what comes next. Now Paul looks to God's providence in Philemon's life as a way to understand the several unlikely events that he's experienced. He brings God's providence in in a very, very unique way. Philemon verses 15 and 16. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Yeah, Paul chose these words masterfully. Notice he says, he was for this reason separated from you, and other translations say departed. He tactfully doesn't say, well, he ran away, <laughs> because that would trigger resentment in the heart of Philemon. So instead, Paul writes, 
he parted from you for a while that you could get him back for good. What a graceful way of putting it, hinting that providentially God saw that it would come out for the good for everyone. He, it, it was almost like he's saying he wouldn't have even been converted right. if he wouldn't have walked away from you. Well, and he wouldn't have been converted because he wouldn't have been with the Apostle Paul and wouldn't have heard the gospel in a way that clicked in his great sins. So you see that the Apostle is saying God's providence is with you on this. It's, he's giving you the important things that need to be known. Separated for a time to be joined with you as a disciple of Jesus for the coming ages of time. It, it just gives you this sense of, yeah, this little experience to give eternity as a brother, as family. You know, 2 Corinthians 4.17 talks about light afflictions bring eternal blessings. The light affliction of the runaway slave could bring eternal blessing to the slave and the owner as brothers in Christ now. And this reminds us of Romans 12.11-13. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Who is one of the saints? Onesimus. Who is going to be contributing to his needs? Philemon. Think about that. What a powerful turn of events because he has been brought to Christ genuinely and is now begotten of God's spirit, God's power and influence. So Jonathan, wrapping up this particular part of the letter to Philemon, what's our finding common ground point? Bringing together those who are at odds begins with recognizing the facts of the matter and ends with appealing to the best of both parties. Always recognize the facts of the matter, then always appeal to the best of both sides. That's how you do the advocating, and that's how you bring parties together that otherwise wouldn't be. The wisdom, strength, and gentleness of Paul cannot be overstated. He is a minister of reconciliation. How does the Apostle Paul end his urgent plea to Philemon? What lessons can we learn? Well, Paul will conclude his letter with his usual combination of strength and sensitivity. He will finish addressing every detail of what's important and will at the same time leave the doors wide open for future fellowship and co-laboring. He will let everyone know how important they are to him. Why? Because that's where the Apostle Paul's heart and mind live. You understand how this short little letter tells us so much about what's inside the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul. It shows us the core values that literally drive him every day. If he's imprisoned, who cares? If he's not in prison, who cares? If he's dealing with a slave, who cares? If he's dealing with a Gentile, who cares? It doesn't matter. He is being himself. And who is he? A dedicated disciple of Jesus Christ. Philemon verse 17. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Wow. Okay. First of all, you regard me a partner. That's the root word for the partnership we talked about earlier in the podcast. Remember that Greek word koinonia? Okay. And, you know, partnership, it's, it's kind of like a membership. It's a deep, deep connectedness. So he says to Philemon, if you regard me a partner, co-member, if you will, accept the runaway slave as though I were standing there in his shoes. Wow. 
<laughs> he extends his faith in Philemon to the point of equalizing Onesimus with himself in Christ. You think about that. But you know, Paul didn't have to go far to figure this out. He's just following what Jesus said, Matthew ten forty. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Okay, it's pretty simple. We are reflections of Jesus Christ if we walk in his footsteps. The apostle walked in his footsteps. He's a reflection, and he's now telling Philemon, Onesimus too needs to be looked at as a reflection of Christ Jesus. That is the depth of what's happening here. Now, now Paul deals with what could be, have been the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Okay, You know that big thing that nobody wants to talk about, but it's ominous? Well, here it is. What are the legal issues that Onesimus has opened up by his wrongdoing? Because in all of this, nobody's saying he didn't do wrong. Nobody's saying, oh, let's ignore it. Oh, it's okay. It'll just go away if we don't think about it. Paul doesn't do that. Let's go to Philemon verses 18 through 20. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Okay, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Why would Paul be willing to cover the cost of Onesimus's wrongdoing? Because that, first of all, Here's the thing. He, Paul was now legally liable for that because that's what Roman law said. Okay? Well, now, and that's important. That's important that he is willing to live up to the requirements of Roman law. But it's minimal. Living up to the requirements of, of Roman law is minimal compared to the grace that Paul himself was shown at his own conversion. Remember that? Saul of Tarsus, that nasty man. Remember Saul of Tarsus was an angry Christian persecutor and responsible for the deaths of some, and yet Jesus gave him grace and strength to be an apostle. And Jesus didn't hold him accountable for the stoning of Stephen, but he had to make up for it by being doing Christ's work. Paul wronged, um, Paul wronged Christ and was called to do the right thing. But also, if you think about it, the consequences Paul received was talked about in Acts 9.16. And it says, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul suffered. He suffered. Mm -hmm. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was imprisoned. So there's a great sense of standing up for Christ in spite of his background. So Paul is probably seeing a little bit of himself in Onesimus. Yes, yes. Because he knew what it was like to be so behind the eight ball, there was no way you were going to get out of it. Right. And yet the answer was Christ. Right. And so just real quick, just to go back to that legal issue, what do we think that Paul might have owed? It would be what, maybe if Onesimus had stolen before he left to fund his trip, or wasn't there something about if slaves, you know, the, the worth that they would have had, like right. a field couldn't get plowed, you would owe that amount of money. Right. So this could have been a significant amount of money. Yes, could have been. Absolutely could have been. And Paul said, again, Paul doesn't write things just for the sake of filling space. He writes them because he means them. Put it on my account. I will cover whatever you need to have covered. I will do Yeah, but it. do you notice he says, I'll repay it, but not to mention you that owe to me even your own self. <laughs> what about that? Well, he's yeah, he's telling Philemon. a little guilt trip here. Well, he's saying, saying Philemon, just remember I brought you to Christ. Okay? <laughs> I pretty much gave you your whole life. Right, and I'm doing the same for, Philemon, for Onesimus. So just remember, I brought you out of wherever you were, 
and by God's grace, I'm able to be a tool in the hand of God to bring Onesimus out of where he was. This reminds us again of some of Paul's other writings, and you're right, Julie, when you said earlier, he lives what he writes. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Hear the sensitivity, and when you hear that in Ephesians, and you look at this experience with Philemon and Onesimus, you can see the depth of what Paul was teaching there. See, to me, it takes on a whole new meaning when you see Paul in action as a person-to-person individual dealing with a really hard problem of that day. Let's continue. Let's go to Philemon, verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. (laughs) You see the confidence that the apostle has in Philemon. Paul was persuaded of Philemon's godly response. Why? Because he knew him well as a brother and a co-laborer in Christ. Do not take that lightly. He knew him because they, were, they had that partnership, that koinonia together under the robe of Christ's righteousness working for the sake of the gospel. Let, let's take a look at this lesson in a slightly different way uh, th- that I think really makes the point. It's kind of a, a unique way of, of, of approaching what's happening here. Let's look at this lesson in terms of the individuals. There's three individuals in this account. And let's look at their names and look at the lesson through their names. Let's start with Paul. The Apostle Paul was once Saul of Tarsus, an influential Pharisee of Pharisees. He was converted to Christ, and his name was changed to Paul, which in the original Latin means little. So we have the influencer, Paul. Now he's the influencer in the story. There's the the, the two people that need to be uh, worked with, and Paul is the one with the the influence. We have the influencer in in this story, the Apostle Paul, who was once mighty in his own eyes, Remember, he led the charge against Christianity. He called the shots. He gave the orders. He was mighty in his own eyes. He was made little in his own eyes. Paul, the Latin meaning little, made little in his own eyes so as to carry out the mighty plans of God through Christ. That's Paul, little, made little in his own eyes. Julie, what about Onesimus? Well, remember, we said his name means useful. So here we have a man who before his conversion really wasn't useful, and he actually did harm to his owner, Philemon. He runs away. He finds Paul, who is little in his own eyes, and Paul teaches Onesimus about Jesus. So Onesimus hears and accepts the call, and now, like Paul, becomes little in his own eyes. But now he's actually becoming useful, as his name indicates, because he's going to be submissively living under the mighty hand of God. So instead of being submissively living as a slave, he's now submissively under the mighty hand of God, little in his own eyes, how things change. Now, we haven't talked at all about the meaning of the name Philemon. Jonathan, what about that word, that name? Well, Philemon means friendly. It is derived from filio love, fondness and affection for others. Philemon is being called upon to see Onesimus, not as his slave as he once saw him, but instead as a brother, to see him as the name Philemon dictates, uh, filio love. Who is challenging Philemon to do this? The Apostle Paul, 
who is little in his own eyes. So well, how does that work out well? <laughs> well, but you know, God's providence gives us so many levels of lessons. And thus we have the three men in this account having learned to be little in their own eyes and having learned to always put the will of God through Christ first. Each of them needed to put their human standing in society aside. Paul needed to put being a Pharisee of Pharisees aside. Onesimus needed to put being a runaway slave, a slave in general, aside. Philemon needed to put being a slave owner aside. They needed that social standing, whatever it was, to be put aside, and each instead needed to embrace the providence of God, and each needed also embrace other partners, koinonia, in this most holy faith. How do you do that? You become little in your own eyes. They did what the Apostle Paul had already done. And in his ministry, he learned how to teach others to be true converts. So, that's that's big. A quick personal application. Yeah. I think we all need to rise above our circumstances and get that higher perspective. So I might be a wife or a student or an employee or a mother, but if we're professing to follow in Jesus's footsteps, then God is overruling for our highest spiritual welfare. And everything we are and everything we do has to line up under the umbrella of being in Christ. That comes first. And that's what I think Paul was telling everybody to do. Rise above your station and let's, we're all that koinonia, which is just goosebump worthy. It, it, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. Such a short letter can have such power of transformation for everybody involved. So having appropriately discipled a babe in Christ, Onesimus, and a mature man in Christ, Philemon, Paul now wraps up with hopefulness and faith. And this is just what the Apostle Paul does. Philemon uh, verses 21 through 25. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Ariostarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul's confident that Philemon's going to do as Paul has encouraged and adds that he's hoping to see him face to face. But here's an interesting fact. The Bible never tells us what Philemon's decision was. And there's no doubt that Paul's appeal was written so tenderly and so masterfully that it had to have an effect on Philemon because how could he ever face Paul again if he denied his request after all that? So Philemon had only one option. And no doubt with his character, he rejoiced in the fact that the Lord touched the heart of his slave and brought him into this wonderful family of God. Nowhere in the entire New Testament is the heart of the Apostle Paul so well revealed as in this short private letter written to his special friend, Philemon. Yeah, and it makes you wonder how many other private letters the Apostle wrote, how many issues the Apostle dealt with that we just don't know about. And he's just, this just gives us a glimpse into the power of the Spirit working in him. And so we, we do. We get to see the Apostle in a very, very deep way and his relationship with others as being profoundly genuine on all levels in all cases. As we wrap this up, Paul continued his faith in Onesimus. Again, we're going to go to the book of Colossians, which was written from prison, 
same situation a short time after, we think, a short time after the letter to Philemon. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, and sure enough, Onesimus is mentioned here. Also to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who was one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. There's Onesimus. And perhaps we can even find a spiritual application with this beautiful analogy of redemption. Onesimus might relate to mankind, God's creation, his property. Man's conduct brought displeasure to God, his master, and man ran far away, no longer righteously serving God. And in God's loving providence, man was led to his benefactor, Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus, a co-worker in God's plan, man as a repentant slave pours out his soul, confesses his sin, and acting on the advice of Jesus, man returns to God, is received as a free man. All liabilities are put in the account of Jesus and are canceled. Redemption. And the Apostle Paul is such a fitting picture of Jesus because he is being Christ-like. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. He's showing us how to be Jesus-like in an in, with imperfect tools. Paul was imperfect like the rest of us. Isn't that a thrill <laughs> that you have this imperfect individual show us such a lofty, high, wonderful standard? So the bottom line of this whole account is, again, finding common ground. And, you know, I'm thinking about how do we phrase the finding common ground here? What words can we actually put on paper to express the common ground? And I could think of no better way than quoting the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Learning to live these words transforms your everyday life. Just ask Philemon and Onesimus. So we have the lessons that have shown us how important it is to take ourselves out of the picture, to be made little in our own eyes, so we can deal with the issues and challenges that are before us and our brotherhood. It can be done. The apostle shows us how, even with great disadvantage that he had, being on house arrest, he took a runaway slave, he converts him to Christ, he reunites the runaway slave with his previous owner, and they are now a family in Christ. That is better than any fairy tale you'll ever hear. Because when this one says they'll live happily ever after, it means for eternity. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, the question is, can good things ever be bad? Can good things ever be bad? I'll tell you this much. Yes. We'll talk to you about it next week. <laughs>